Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Doing the Thing podcast. I'm here, as always, with Phil. How you doing, man? Hey, awesome, man. And, uh, you know, I'm excited because isn't this the kickoff of season three? And don't we have about 50 or so episodes in the can now? That is true. We've got 50, I think, yeah, 50 episodes in the can, lots of downloads. We're we're rocking and rolling into season three, and we got some some new things on the horizon. We're actually working with somebody that actually help us professionalize this even more than it already is, and maybe get us up on YouTube. So, Boom. so more stuff to look forward to. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I'm excited to start this one out with some more story time. Who to who? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think these are some of our favorite types of episodes to do. Not that, you know, interviews and some self-development stuff isn't that much fun because it is. But, you know, I just like to learn shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially when it's a story that you don't know, that most people don't know. But, uh, you know, a cool story or a story with a message, right? And I think you have both. Yeah, this one is actually uh, a little bit bizarre you know and and um if you're a tourist in this area you'll probably learn about it because they make a great martini that uh or a great cocktail that kind of surrounds the whole event which i'll explain at the end of the story um but yeah if you ever heard of something called the pig war you'll you'll understand what i'm about to get into and, and so what it was, was an argument over a slaughtered pig that almost led to a full-scale conflict between the United States and Great Britain. Again, what? Yeah. And, and only this was in 1859. So on San Juan Island, which is a chunk of land located between uh, the mainland United States and Vancouver Island, uh, is a home to American settlers and British employees of the Hudson's Bay Company and both parties had laid claim to its to its soil, right? It was very fertile, so there was a lot that they could do. There were a lot of resources that they could pull from it. So uh, in the pig war, the first and only shots of this war came on June 15, 1859, when an American farmer named Lyman Cutler gunned down a British-owned black boar after he discovered the animal rooting through his potato patch. <laughs> <laughs> So imagine a whole war being started just by shooting somebody else's pig, right? <laughs> so the argument over the dead hog increased tensions between the two groups of settlers, and Cutler was eventually threatened with arrest. So after the Americans reported the incident to the military, the U.S. Army dispatched Captain George Pickett, who was later a Confederate general during the Civil War, uh, they, they dispatched him to San Juan with the small complement of troops like any any amount of troops now you know that's not a good sign right so pick it up the ante by declaring the whole island u.s property and the british responded by sending not a small complement of troops but a fleet of heavily armed naval vessels wait 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 so the americans <laughs> have how many and then the the british sent how many so let's say a platoon compared to a company or brigade. Actually, company is pretty small. So maybe a brigade would be a fleet. So that's like thousands of people. <laughs> wow. so like 26 guys, thousands of people. 
So an absurd standoff after that ensued, as you could probably imagine. The, the situation remained on a knife edge for several agonizing weeks. Uh, the two nations would finally negotiate a deal allowing for joint military occupation of San Juan Island in October of 1859, which ended the pig war as a bloodless stalemate, save for, you know, one unfortunate hop. <laughs> <laughs> the poor piggy didn't make it. Um, but so in San Juan, there's actually a, a cocktail that they make that's, um, I don't know why it doesn't have bacon in it, but it doesn't. Um, but it's, it's kind of a fruity cocktail. They, it's vodka, triple sec, orange, cranberry, and pineapple juice, but the mixture creates a pink drink, like a piggy bank. Oh, and I hope it's potato vodka. I mean, at least. It should be. It should be, right? <laughs> wow. And so, go ahead. So the reason I wanted to tell the story is because of the concept of restraint, right? We, we, we tend to have, you know, these you know, mental and emotional knee-jerk reactions when somebody messes with us or we think that somebody is messing with us. And, and as you can see in this, it has a potential to be catastrophic. This could have changed the world, this whole thing. If it would have, if those commanders and if like our leaders in both countries respectively, you know, hadn't come to some type of understanding or agreement, who knows where, where we would have been after that, right? Yeah. Imagine that in our own lives. You know, how many times have, have we, you know, probably when we're all younger, right, have had those types of knee-jerk reactions. Even these days, sometimes I have those, those reactions, and you got to catch yourself, right, and, and, you know, try to avoid acting out of emotion and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it really, um, a lot of things to drill into about this story. So, Going back to the, the origin of it all, so I guess there was um, a dispute over the land and there were maps drawn and all that, and so the British and the Americans were kind of living co-joined. In comes this pig, does what pigs does. And, and, and by the way, in all fairness to Farmer Cutler, it wasn't the first time it happened. It was many times that it happened before. He's like, all right, that's it. <clears throat> You're eating my potatoes. <laughs> I'm going to menace. Shoot, right? Um, <laughs> But yeah, so apparently the British, um, was it British officer, right? British officer, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Apparently the British officer came over pissed off about his dead pig and the farmer offered him $10 and said, here, here's compensation, you know, he was eating my potatoes. And the British officer asked for $100, which in today's world would be about 2,800 bucks. And that's where the impasse was. So let's just start with the simple negotiation of conflict, the principles of win-win in conversations, right? $90 separated a potential war between two countries. <laughs> that almost started. Right. I mean, it's, what do you do in a situation like that? Don't you sit down and say, well, listen, help me understand why you think $100 is the right value and $10 isn't. Let me explain my side. Can we find some middle ground together, right? Exactly, exactly. And I don't think those conversations even came close to it until we had a, a naval fleet <laughs> coming to respond, which in, in hindsight probably cost, you know, I, I don't know what the conversion in dollars back then would have been, but a lot of money to send a fleet of <laughs> ships out to a coastline with thousands of people. Yeah. And doesn't it also speak to 
you know, there are the um, visible surface reasons for this conflict. And the obvious visible surface reason is you shot my pig. But underlying behind that is this dispute over property and perhaps the ability to advance that claim on that property based on this being the instigating event, right? Right, right. And I think it's probably, you know, between the two countries, it's probably a little bit of a respect issue and, and things like that, you know? You know, there's probably, I mean, it's the 1800s, we're far, far away from the Revolutionary War, but, you know, when you're, when you're two different nations coexisting in the same spot, I think you're going to find some of those types of conflicts. Yeah, so, it, you know, it seems to me, well, first of all, don't shoot your neighbor's pig if you can possibly avoid it. Like maybe go talk to your neighbor and say, hey, would you please restrain your pig? Oh, and a hey, funny side note. So I was reading about this too before the episode. And so the farmer cutler who shot the pig said, your pig is eating my potatoes and you didn't stop your pig from eating my potatoes. That's why I shot it. And the British officers said, it's your job to stop the potatoes from getting in my pig's stomach. <laughs> hey, that's, that's what, that's what somebody says when they want to start a fight, right? Yeah. And you know, so you have two choices, right? You either escalate or defuse the situation. And wouldn't it have been a smart play to just say, well, listen, we can agree to disagree on that. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think in this situation, it was, it would be very hard for him to, for the farmer to really win. Right. And there's really no win because this person is, you know, clearly, you know, wants him to suffer or just wants him to, you know, be in a bad position and has no, you know, no desire to take care of his, his pig and keeping it from going to the potatoes. So, so eventually that, I mean, you can only try, you can only change your own thinking. You can't change somebody else's thinking. So at this point, I mean, I don't know what he could have done to actually avoided that. Um, maybe put up a better fence or something like that. Uh, but it sounds like that pig was pretty crafty and is jumping over it or something. I don't know, but <laughs> maybe make less, knocking it down, make less tasty potatoes. Yeah. 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 And so the oh, other, he. yeah, the other thing that intrigued me about this story was, um, so apparently, you know, the 20 or 40, whatever that number is, Americans and the whole fleet of thousands come over and they're at this impasse and they were given both given very strict orders. Don't fire the first shot. So apparently each side was like antagonizing the other side, trying to get them to take the first shot. So this war could start. And luckily, military discipline held, and neither took the first shot until the heads of state from the U.S. and from London stepped in and said, done. <laughs> De-escalate <laughs> now, right? Um, but we have to ask ourselves a question, too. So past that initial slight, there are two antagonistic sides when we don't create a win-win environment, when we don't figure out a way to diffuse the situation and... Uh, reach a place where both of us agree. And that tends to create the ongoing antagonization. I mean, think, think about Hatfields and McCoys, right? Mm -hmm. However that feud started, it just continues to escalate and something very small becomes something very big. So how do you right. avoid those, um, those traps that people set for you when you're in this conflict? Yeah, I mean, obviously the way to, you know, avoid any kind of conflict is, is walk away, right? 
go go the other direction um but how do you how do you walk your entire farm away you know <laughs> maybe he could have planted his potatoes somewhere else but you know that's probably the best place to plant potatoes because that's where they're at you know that's, that's probably the type of soil that he needed right there in that spot on the, on the farm so i don't know man i don't know <laughs> yeah and that's and then, the thing and that's those knee-jerk reactions you know so there's you know kind of you know i think if that um the, the British officer would have had some type of, you know, training or, you know, education or something like that. I think it all could have, you know, been avoided, but, you know, the guy was just a jerk, man. <laughs> you can't just stop that. You know, you can't, you're always going to have jerks. You know, and then the other thing I think about in this whole equation is, right, so we're all human beings and we sometimes feel damaged by interactions that we have. And that, begins the start of this whole escalation where the fleet comes in, um, metaphorically speaking, right? And, um, you know, I guess the question comes down to um, how do you start the day fresh? And I've always had this saying that um, every day is a new day on the playground. You might get bullied yesterday or kids don't like you and won't play with you yesterday. Come back tomorrow with a um, brand new set of marbles, shiny marbles and ask someone to play again. And all of a sudden it's a different day on the playground, right? And when we start to think about those tense relationships we may have at work, at home, wherever it may be, getting down to the roots of what caused that problem, it may be too entangled to do. But can we also show up, you know, with a new set of marbles on the playground and just ask to play again and ask for forgiveness? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, good way to think about it, you know, and, you know, just wipe the slate clean um, whenever possible. And especially for something, you know, something like that. It's not like um, somebody was killed, you know, it's not a, you know, egregious crime so much that, you know, you could start a war over. Yeah. And just, again, to think that a, a, a war between two countries and who knows what could have come from that war, right? Territorially and otherwise, was started because of potatoes and a pig. <laughs> that and, would have been the first World War Two. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly could have been, right? And how many times War. do we get into these situations where something very minute, something we can talk through, just blows up out of proportion? So, you know, what's the advice for people in terms of how to avoid these traps? I, I think it's just fixing your own mind, you know? It's... um being aware, um, you know, things are going to piss you off. Thing, people are going to slight you. People are going to do things that you don't like. It's not something that, you know, you could always avoid. Um, perfect example, um, moving to Albuquerque, my um, first night in the hotel, somebody smashed the back of my Jeep in. Yeah, they smashed the rear windshield of my Jeep. Um, the only thing that was really back there for them to take was an air mattress. Somebody probably spooked them because they left their, um, it looked like they had wire cutters that they smashed it. So they left the wire cutters there, um, didn't get anything. So all they did was property damage. You know, not a whole lot I could have done about that, except for maybe have gotten, um, gotten into a better hotel with more security. You know, but even then it was a hotel that had cameras, lots of people in the parking lot, very well lit. So you could not avoid that. So, so did I get upset? Sure. But what I did was instead of dwelling on, 
you know, somebody messing with me and damaging my property, I acted. You know, I called my insurance company. I, I scheduled immediately a place that could replace the, replace the window, which I was able to do within an hour and a half. Two hours later, I had a perfectly brand new Jeep again. You know, and, and it's all wiped out. Insurance took care of it. You know, you know, you do everything on the front end, of course, to be able to build that kind of resiliency, i.e. pay for your insurance, you know, and be in good standing with your, your driving record and all that kind of stuff. And, and it works out for you in, in abundance on the other side. So, so don't sweat the small stuff. And even if it is something big, don't let it bury you. Act. Do something about it. Do something positive about it that's gonna, you know, it's gonna help you fix it. Man, you know, so we were talking about our next uh, next week's episode before we started recording this one, but this story just so perfectly fits what you just said that I wonder if we shouldn't talk about W. Mitchell Mallet. Go for it, man. Drop it in. Yeah, let's talk about him. Yeah, because you know what what Jason was talking about is so you know you have a, a wide uh, cornucopia of options as far as how you react to situations right now. Jason gets his window smashed in. He could have gone full Hulk. And if you can't, if you're not looking at a video of this, Jason's a big dude. He's trained in martial arts. He's a former counterintelligence officer. You know, of your choices of people to mess with, you should probably move him to the back of that list and pick someone else if you can first would be my advice, right? So he could have gone full Hulk and just that whole night went out hunting, right? And did a vigilante mission, but instead he chose the logical path, right? And the message being, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do about it that matters. Really, 100%. that's the message. And yes, that's what makes W. Mitchell's story so powerful. So I want to take you back. Um, Mitchell grew up in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And at the age of 17, he joined the Marines and became a Marine. Um, and served, I think, for four years. Um, he got out and, you know, really had a calling to move to the West Coast. So he moved himself out to the Haight-Ashbury neighborhood um, in San Francisco. And, you know, took up a series of odd jobs. He was a bartender. And if you know anything about Haight-Ashbury, there was at least a lot of open restaurants and bars and things like that. Maybe not so much right now with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, so he did that. He, uh, he was a DJ. He even worked on the cable cars, which I think is really cool. You know, those rice cars? Cool. Yeah. Um, but Mitchell's dream was that he wanted to travel the country on a motorcycle. Um, so he's doing all these odd jobs, and he's saving up his money for, I think, two and a half, three years um, until he has enough to buy his motorcycle. And he gets his motorcycle, and within a week of buying it, he's... Going down, um, for those of you that don't know, San Francisco is very, very hilly. So there's extreme ups and downs, right? And he's going down a hill and a bread truck is careening out of control in the other direction and he can't avoid the crash. So he hits it. The bike slides for about 20 feet. During that process, the gas cap comes off and the bike ignites, right? So yeah. Mitchell wakes up several days later in the hospital, and what he finds is that he's burned over 65% of his body. He has lost wow. all of his fingers and all of his toes. Um, so pause on that for a moment, right? Yeah, you need to imagine. Yeah. 
Um, and the, the horrible pain. Look, I, you know, touched the stove by accident and it stings for about a day and a half. <laughs> and that's hard for me. And I just burns can't imagine. Fun. Yeah, burns um, are painful. Yeah, so he goes through uh, several years of surgeries, hundreds of skin graft surgeries and other surgeries. Um, and he has to learn how to touch and feel again because he doesn't have fingers. And he has to learn to walk again because he doesn't have toes. Um, and during the process, the accident investigation team finds out that the cause of the fire was a faulty gas cap. So, Mitchell, so that's a, yeah, that, that's going to be the vehicle's problem, the manufacturer's problem, right? It, it absolutely was, yeah. So Mitchell successfully <laughs> sued the manufacturer, and he re received the settlement of a half a million dollars. And so what he decided to do was leave the memory of the accident behind, leave San Francisco, and he bought a farm in Crested Butte, uh, Crested Butte Colorado, excuse me, um, and in addition to the farm, since, you know, riding a motorcycle was no longer possible because he lost his fingers, right? Um, he decided maybe he'd see the country in a plane. So he bought a farm and he bought a plane. And wow. for the next several years, took flying lessons and learned to fly and finally got his pilot's license. And I'm not making this up either. Um, his first maiden flight... He has uh, three other passengers with him. The first time he takes the plane solo, um, it crashes. What? Yeah, it what? crashes. He can't catch a break. Yeah, seriously. And the other three occupants of the plane are able to get up and walk out of the crash. Mitchell becomes a paraplegic, a uh, person with paraplegia. Um, so now we have a guy who's burned over 65% of his body. He's missing all of his fingers and toes, and he's a person with paraplegia. Let that rest wow. for a minute. Yeah, that's, oh, man. Yeah, can you imagine getting hit twice like that? I Catastrophically can't... hitting twice. You know, like and... even, a, even a combat veteran that, you know, gets into a catastrophic IED, you know, usually that's the only one because usually they're retired after that, right? You, yeah. know, you lose a limb or something, um, you're retired. 90% uh, of your body burned, yeah, you're retired. You know, you're most likely not going to find yourself into a catastrophic situation like that again. But damn. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've always said, and um, this is in uh, the second book, um, we all face our own challenges. And I said this in the context of our friend Gary Guller, who lost his left arm in a climbing accident and went on to summit Mount Everest. But he had to, you know, rebuild his entire life after the, the accident that took yeah. the life of one of his friends, right? Mm -hmm. We don't, most of us won't face Mount Everest, but we all face Everest-sized challenges. And the toughest thing we've been presented with in our life is equivalent to Everest because whatever taxes us to the end of our abilities is an Everest-sized problem, right? And so thinking about W. Mitchell, again, burned over his body, lost fingers and toes, person with paraplegia, this is what Mitchell said. He said, before my accidents, there used to be about 10,000 things that I can do. Now there's only 9,000 things. There's 1,000 things I'll never be able to do again. 
my choice is I can either focus on the thousand things I've lost or become very good at the 9,000 things left, right? Exactly. I love, I love that attitude. But it's very true, you know. Why mourn the loss when it's something that's never going to come back? Why, why spend the time? Well, you got to ask yourself that. Is it worth it? Is it worth the time, you know, to, to mourn that? I don't think it is. I mean, certainly, I mean, you're, I think, um, I think you're allowed to at a certain point, of course, you know, that's human, but, um, you know, your whole life, you know, that's, that's not time well spent. No, no. And, and you have the choice of certainly, first of all, we're all human beings and we need to suffer pain and loss of mourning to the extent that it is not getting in the way of our life moving forward. Um, but yes. we have to accept those feelings, work through those and all that. But you run the risk of going from a victim to a willing participant when you don't let go of it, right? Yeah. That's, I think, what you're talking about. Exactly. Exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you see it all the time. You know, even like people losing relationships, they become victims um, from that loss. You know, it's this person's fault. This happened because of this. You know, I don't have any luck. You know, all those types of uh, comments when, when you actually have an opportunity to really improve yourself um, and, and go better because maybe – you know, in, in terms of a relationship, if that relationship has gone and, you know, is a heavy loss to you, maybe it's a, maybe that happened for you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes those, uh, cat what we feel at the time are catastrophic events become the springboard to something really fantastic. But in the moment, you can't see it that way. Years later, no. you look back and go, I'm grateful this happened. Um, so what did W. Mitchell do? He's got 9,000 things left to do. He gets involved in local politics, runs for, and is voted in as mayor of Crested Butte. Good for and, him. Yeah, ends up taking on a campaign to save a mountain, which is an interesting story. Um, interesting story that um, our listeners can check out afterwards. He takes the rest of the money that he has and realizes that, hey, I might not be able to do the work, but I can form a company and hire people to do some work. So he founds a company called Vermont Castings. Vermont Casting and Castings ends up growing to a thousand plus employee company, big company. Um, he begins to do like we did, you know, local radio interviews, which are the olden day equivalent to podcasting, right? So he gets yep. on the radio, he gets his own program, he starts to get some television traction, gets interviewed, um, and this leads to doing some public speaking, which is another thing he can do. Yeah. And from that experience, he is now one of the uh, most recognized globally motivational speakers in the entire world. Amazing. W. Mitchell. Yeah, I'd listen. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the poster child of resilience right there. Exactly right, isn't it? 100%. Yeah. I mean, he's met with presidents, you know, um, best-selling author. Uh, he made an unsuccessful Senate run, but you know, here's that question, right? So getting back to the, the pig war story, we have a choice about how we escalate things. We have a choice about what we do and what we choose matters. And it's not what happens to us that matters. It's what we choose to do about it that really matters. So that's why I thought this slipped in very well to the message today. It really did. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. Because, um, it was a perfect fit and, um, 
yeah, I'm glad we were able to have, you know, kind of bring up all those topics and actually learn about something different. You know, <laughs> I don't know how many people actually heard about the pig war, but uh, I found it just searching for obscure history and there it was, you know? Boom. Absolutely love the story, man. So yeah, we're going to probably do a, a, another story time um, next week, I bet too, right? Yeah, let's do it, man. Yep. Topic to be determined. I'll be doing my homework. And until then, man, awesome uh, awesome episode, Jason. Great story. Thanks for finding that. And uh, everybody, thanks so much for listening. Yep. Thank you, everybody. If you like this, please share it with your friends. See you Boom. next week.